0: Welcome to another episode of Sim Sundays. We are on episode 34 and this episode was, well, I didn't get to be there, unfortunately, (laughs) so Mr. Tom over here, he got to interview an interesting guest and I'm really jealous that you actually got to talk to this guy and I wasn't there. How are you Mm. doing today, Tom?
1: Uh, I'm doing really good. It was a really good episode. It was... um... We're not our favorites, but it was one of my favorites, Um, and and you also missed it by like an hour, so I feel sorry for you, but it was your birthday yesterday, so happy birthday. You've been out and about enjoying yourself.
0: Yeah, it's uh, the big four zero for me, so I'm starting my fifth decade on the planet, I guess is is how how it's been put to me by uh... other people in my family. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's an interesting uh, way of putting it yeah it's it's been it's been nice the weather's been kind of terrible around here so we've just kind of been staying inside for the most part but you know just taking a couple of extra days for that r&r stuff that we try to get so often Mm -hmm. and
1: you did some iRacing and some commentating on your birthday that's pretty on brand i'm a big fan
0: yeah yeah well sim racing as you know is one of my passions hence grid finder and sim (laughs) sunday's podcast you know so On my birthday, I got to spend it doing some things that I love, which are sim racing and commentating, like you said. Nice. Well,
1: I'm glad you had a good time. Um, But I am sad that you missed this episode because this week we had Paul Crawford on the show. So Paul Crawford, if you don't know, is head of esports at Motorsport UK. So he's got a pretty freaking cool job. His job is to integrate sim racing into uh, Motorsport UK's world and to try and kind of like cross-pollinate the two um parties you've got sim races and you've got real world races and they're coming up with a bit of a program to to try and combine the two but there's some there's some shaky ground that they're trying to avoid like you know there were rumors about them bringing in like a licensing system where you'd have to pay or you know over regulating an industry that didn't need to be regulated and Man. we kind of covered all that we went through how Paul got into this—he had, he did a very, very cool degree, um, and I'm not going to spoil it. Actually, this is—we should probably say this is the first time. This is our first episode of the new startup podcast where we're pre-recording everything. So I've actually already done this episode. I know what happens, and now I'm talking about the past in the future. Nuts! <laughs> it's crazy. It's uh its what's that film? Inception. It's Inception. Um, so go. yeah, we we spoke about his uh, degree, which was very cool. Um, We spoke about a time that he crashed his car uh, on the track. Uh, We spoke about Motorsport UK a bit, about their plans, what they want to do, how they want to improve the world of sim racing. I did that classic interview question where I was like, what's your five-year plan, Paul? Tell me about your five-year plan. Where are you (laughs) going to be in five years' time? Um, and he was like, oh, I bloody know. Um, he was like, partnered <laughs> in, with
0: Grid Finder. First off, no.
1: <laughs> the, well, we yeah, we did actually just. Oh no, wait, we discussed that after the episode. Yes, but that mm, yes, stuff and things. Uh, plus, yes, Top there's secret. lots of potential, lots of potential, which is exciting. <laughs> um, and then we spoke about the future of sim racing, where it's going. We spoke a little bit about Ren sport, and yeah, it was a really, really good episode, and it was great to get his personal opinions on sim racing. But it was also interesting to hear him kind of quash some of those horrible rumors that you see on Facebook and Twitter, where it was like, oh my God, Motorsport UK is going to ruin Simra. I don't know why they're American in oh. this voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you
0: do that a lot. When, when you say t- bad things, you switch to your American <laughs> accent, which I'm like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, right, I'm so. super excited to hear this episode, honestly, and uh, I'm sure the listeners are chomping at the bit to hear what you guys had to say. So we'll let them go into the episode. So enjoy this episode 34 with paul Crawford mm. from motorsport uk bon appetit oh cool.
1: so how did you get into all this tell us about how you uh how you started your motorsport
2: career uh so i've um, kind of always been into motorsport and gaming across kind of not just racing but traditional gaming as well um and uh, I wasn't necessarily academically that clever, but I discovered an opportunity to do motorsport at university. So I actually did motorsport management at university in Swansea. Uh, nice. I did not know that was yes. a That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it, w- it was pretty cool. It, was it a big course? No. <laughs> it was like <laughs> 22 people on it, I think. Um, we actually had um, David Leslie, the uh, touring car driver, lecturist, for a couple of years. He actually uh, certainly That's passed away cool. kind of in between uh, terms. But anyway, um, oh yikes. That's cool. so then I actually got the chance to work at the British Grand Prix whilst I was doing that kind of in the summer and out of uni, I, I kind of realized I need to get, I want to get into motorsport. I know I'm not going to be able to go into my dream job. So uh, I saw the opportunity to join their call center selling tickets, driving experiences, etc. cetera. Uh, from there, I got put on the management trainee scheme, which is basically you go around all the different departments for two years, like six months in each department. And I ended up in a department that was actually running uh, Nissan GT Academy back in the day. Oh, okay. um, so, yeah, that was actually run by Silverstone Circuit. And uh, I helped them run, I think it was the 2010 one. The Jordan one and then the Jan Mardenbury year. Um, and then that department split off to become Nissan's uh, almost like motorsport agency. So we ran Nissan GT Academy, right. we ran all of the racing drivers' programs. Um, so ordered their kit, scheduled their training, all of that sort of stuff. Um, That's nuts. So I did that for like four years and it was great. Traveled around the world and was working in motorsport and I get a lot of the. Uh, I get the question a lot of. Well, why would you leave? <laughs> uh, but I did actually <laughs> right. choose to leave because there wasn't really any career progression. So actually, I was like, I'm just doing mm. the same thing each year, which is really fun, but I'm not yeah. actually getting anywhere. So.
1: But you must have felt at the time, if you'd gone and studied motorsport management at university and then you landed that job, you must have thought, okay, well, you know, this has at least gone to plan.
2: Yes. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And I was fully one of those people where I was like, I've completely lucked out here. It, it's make your own luck. Obviously I, I had the opportunities of working at the Grand Prix and things like that, which I took and didn't moan about getting up at 4am and working till 10pm and yeah, that sort of stuff. So yeah, I was kind of like, well, this is great. And then... I ended up working for a drinks company after that, who owned VK and hooch among other drinks. But hooch? yeah, the still a thing. Of the it's still a thing. I'm just it not close in the dark. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and they actually sponsored Tom Ingram in the touring cars and uh, the Ginetta Super Cup Championship. So while I was doing. I I was kind of event manager by trade. I was doing event management on the drink side. I was also helping the owner, Steve Perez with kind of his motorsport sponsorship and stuff. So I was kind of keeping my toe in. Um, Mm -hmm. I then actually decided to leave motorsport and esports completely and went into traditional um, event management, doing conferences, charity dinners. And it quickly became apparent that I didn't want to do that because it was really boring.
1: Yeah yeah. Uh, so hang on, you just said that you left motorsport and esports. How much esports was there back then?
2: So it was really GT Academy was it, which was yeah. so far ahead of its time, you know, taking mm. global esports search um for racing talent and putting them in a Nissan professional driving contract which was till 2015. And then after that it was just motorsport um that yeah. I was working in. Um, and basically, long story short, I, I left motorsport and eSports, realized I wanted to go back into it. And I ended up freelancing, worked on a couple of formularies, and winter F1 testing. But it was at that stage that Darren Cox, who used to run the Nissan Motorsport program, had yes. yeah. gone um, to set up his own thing and had set up World's Fastest Gamer and his company was also managing a couple of F1 esports teams and he asked if I wanted to go to work and look after the Mercedes F1 esports team when I was freelancing and that kind of escalated and I ended up going full-time there. So I managed the F1 esports team for Mercedes in 2019 and 20. helped on a uh, world's fastest gamer looked after James Baldwin when he, when he won that year. There was other projects which, unfortunately, never came to light, which I actually put a lot of time and effort into, but then never came to fruition. Oh, can you tell us? I about can't. That? Definitely not. Oh, unfortunately.
1: Okay. <laughs> but it's just so how your your eyes. Lit up yeah, when you were talking it would have been. Amazing. It sounds like they might have been quite. Yes, cool. yeah. they
2: would have been amazing. Um, but um, yeah, I then. It kind of changed that role and we got back kind of more into, I was working on the WTF1 stuff, like the the camping at the Grand Prix and the karting events, and it very much felt like maybe I need to change, but I wasn't desperate to change. It was still good. And I, I got a phone call from Motorsport UK saying, look, we, we, we're looking to move into esports. We're aware of its value. We should be doing something in the space. What? Do you recommend it wasn't like they were headhunting me they were literally asking for advice of whether the company yeah, yeah. i worked for would could help or and anyway we had multiple conversations and even if we did go down the route of kind of third-party agencies they would want somebody in the building to kind of manage it yeah so yeah. yeah and then here I am <laughs> which that was
1: what was it like working at WTF1 because that must have been you must have been there kind of at their at their peak when they were really growing at their fastest rate yeah so
2: I worked for the, the group of companies that was the race and WTF1 yeah. are kind of the, the biggest names but yeah working with Matt and Matty and Tommy they're you know great guys and what they did with WTF1 was was mega and to see that grow and just you you know i think it went from like six hundred thousand to a million subscribers so quickly at that stage and mm. it 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 was really interesting because a lot of content around motorsport was very kind of dry journalistic mm-hmm. like the race auto mm-hmm. sport news it yeah. very kind of news and journalistic like i said so there was nothing really there for the younger generation i would say other than your netflix obviously drive to survive but I, and i really felt like wtf i'm really found their space within that um but it's great
1: yeah it's interesting when you so i listen to the race podcast um quite a lot and i listen to the uh the radio five live um f1 podcast the name i can't remember the name now with uh, jenny gow and Julian and palmer and it, it's good but there's not a lot of laughing yeah. going on it's uh, yeah it's, it's all about oh did you see this new thing yeah on the, on the front what about, wing about of that tire course? degradation do this and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, um, it has you its place. To be a real diehard fan, to really kind of care about these like upgrades. You, I remember um, listening to the F1 um, official podcast where they do the interview series, and they were talking about the guy that found the uh, the second brake pedal in the mm-hmm. uh, was it the the McLaren? Yeah. And but they were going into it, and they were saying, but back at that time, the journalism was so different because all of these little technical details and i mean like details were kind of so like, passionately documented and then you get like a double page spread on oh we've just seen this yeah. new air in there on the side side pod of such and such a car but it was only for practice too what could it mean like yeah. you know it was really uh, like you can see why uh, you can see how formula one has exploded because it was it's such a great concept such a great sport but the media was only targeting such a narrow yeah, portion you're of already in it potential fan yeah base. you're
2: you're an expert on it basically and you're really interested in the detail rather than like drive to survivors done with the drama and the rivalries and, th- and things like that
1: yeah 100 and there must have been there must have been a lot of lessons that you kind of learned when you were at wtf1 and you were kind of in that environment that you can now bring to to this role in motorsport uk
2: yeah it, exactly and i think kind of going on from what i just said it was very much around don't just target the pros and the people who are already in it and know what they're doing. There's that whole kind of learning process of people, whether they're already you know, playing Gran Turismo with a controller or whatever, which is absolutely fine, but they might not have the knowledge of how to improve or where to go or which communities to, to get involved with or what equipment to buy. And really, when, when I started at Motorsport UK, it was that, that was kind of the key of how do we approach this? Um, mm. which we can go into at some point.
1: Yeah, I'm really keen to get into the Motorsport UK role and, and hear about what they're doing, and, and we'll kind of cover that cross between real world and, and sim racing, because you're probably one of the best qualified people to, to talk about that, and there's a lot of opinions <laughs> yep. um, around that. But let's go back to your uni days. Is that where sim racing started? At what point did you did you, did you you kind of first dive into virtual
2: motorsport? So I the earliest racing game I can remember playing was F1 Race on the Game Boy. <laughs> which right. was when I was eight nice. it was just <laughs> uh, what were the tire models like on the, uh, <laughs> on the game boy uh, yeah. flat out everywhere you could go around <laughs> um, nice. so I was always into racing and racing games and that w- I actually had this conversation with my parents recently it was like that was nature that wasn't nurture you know no one in my family mm. was into cars or racing or anything like that um, and then I started getting like the F1 games and Gran Turismo on the PlayStation and PlayStation 2 and uh, I actually spoke to somebody who actually ended up being quite important in my sim racing career when I was at the Autosport show recently and mm. I worked at a kart track before uh, kind of in uni holidays and um, I went round to one of the guys' houses there, and he had a game called GTR on his laptop, which blew my mind. I was like, "Nice! This is what I want to be doing. This is mega. Yeah. This is such a big step up from Gran Turismo and the F1 games." And I didn't even know about kind of the GT world, and it was all the Ferrari 550s and the 360s and stuff like that. I didn't know about that. It wasn't as easily, uh, wasn't as easy to view that content back in those days. So,
1: yeah, I think a lot of people have kind of found their way into non-Fórmula 1 motorsport through like virtual motorsport, yeah. through through sim racing or just racing uh, Gran Turismo. But GTR um, uh, announcing the GTR revival. Project yes. Sounds uh, excited. I that. was
2: excited for GTR 3 when it had a re- website and the revving engine. <laughs> yeah. I was excited for that because I maintain that GTR 2 is probably my favorite sim title of all time. It might be biased with nostalgia or whatever, but Mm. it it was great. We used to do endurance races at uni on a keyboard, AZ, arrow keys. That's nice. With full traction control and ABS, obviously. Um, God, the cramp in your finger if you're using a keyboard to race in an endurance That's the pain of racing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, So, yeah, I would love to see something like that. Come back, and I think, uh, and we can probably talk about this separately if you want. But like the whole rent sport thing and competition mm-hmm. coming into the environment, I, I, which I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Competition breeds, you know, progression and and things like that. And 100%. so, if it's done right, then great. I mean, I used to love Project Cars, but then you look what happened with Project Cars Three. It's a bit like, oh, oh what yeah, a, shame. a shame. Yeah, exactly. It's a shame. And uh, I. Get it? It's really hard for game developers when they need to make the business side work. And how many more people can they sell a game like a Gran Turismo or a Forza to than a ACC mm. or a a rent book? Probably. It,
1: it's well, the interesting hard. thing is that it, yeah, I mean, if you look at racing games on the face of it, if you didn't know much about it, you'd say that it's all they're all very similar. It's all you know very simple to make. You just need a lot of tracks, a lot of cars, some way of <laughs> progressing through the game, and that's it. But quite clearly there is so much more to it there's so much more to understand about you know the different titles the different platforms the different uh, tournament arrangements that are possible based on the, the 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 formats of the races and presumably this is why motorsport uk have brought you in because they can't replicate the knowledge that you've built up over the last like decade or so mm. you know sim racing from from your uni days to, to now. It's not something that you can just have a little flick around and be like, oh yeah, I get it now.
2: Yeah, and you know, I, I'm still learning so much. Obviously, throughout that time, I've always had preference of games and platforms, which means I don't have as much exposure to the other titles. So I'm by no means an expert. I did have kind of a lot of general knowledge around the space and how it works. But exactly they they did a, um they we Motorsport UK did a couple of activations in lockdown like a lot of people with with sim racing and it was successful and they wanted to do more but then as soon as lockdown and and covid kind of moved on everybody went back to their day jobs and there was no one in the building to to pick it up and it was that was kind of the 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 kind of moment where they were like okay let's actually do something about this and, and and invest in it in a in a proper way
1: it's interesting isn't it because i do wonder if there was an assumption at motorsport uk that a small portion of people who are license holders would be interested in in sim racing and, and actually with the small sample size that we're using at the moment so we we're, we're running the um uh endurocar hmm. virtual series in the, in their off season uh, and we were you know we're like 100% oversubscribed like it, it, there was no way nowhere near enough room in the series for everybody who wanted to do it and was that um, was
2: that only people who were doing the real world championship yeah. So we, yeah. we
1: started out and it was just people doing the real world championship and then we thought, Okay, we'll, we'll open it up to others and arguably perhaps we shouldn't, because we could have more than filled the group mm. with people who were who were actually racing it in real life, but then we wanted to make it accessible. And of course MSV's goals is to get more people interested in the series so that they will eventually go and yeah. um, give the series a crack, which they absolutely should. It's so much fun. Um so yeah, it was really interesting to see the kind of like the immediate success that you could have by just going to the the people who are racing in Mm -hmm. the real world on the grid and say oh you you know in in your off season you can you can do this and it's I think um you know we have a little driver briefing beforehand and a chat after the race and you you can kind of imitate the same or a similar at least paddock um paddock experience so it's really encouraging now to see that the series are, are realizing that actually a lot of people who do race in the real world are interested in sim racing and I think as more and more people as kind of uh, the gaming generation moves through into the kind of generation that you typically expect to be racing the older generation let's be honest yeah uh, who do do club racing um I think that's only going to increase
2: yes yeah exactly and I think that one of the key things that, that we're trying to do here is and uh I'll kind of preface it with uh, what we're trying to achieve is not get everybody who is doing esports to do real world motorsport. We're also advocates of esports on its own or sim racing. Um, but w- what we're trying to achieve is we want to put the esports offering or sim racing offerings in front of the motorsport community, and we want to put the motorsport offerings in front of the esports community because there's a lot of either misunderstanding or lack of knowledge on both sides, which I which I fell into as well of, you know, people in esports might think that you have to have millions of pounds to go racing, whereas, you know, myself, and I now know, and obviously you do now with the, with the KA stuff and I've raced in C1s and done a, dabbled with an MX-5 Super Cup test day, you can just... Oh,
1: nice. I've, I've just
2: sent out a load of Facebook messages to
1: some arrive and drive teams for the C1s to go and do some testing at not kill. Yeah. That, that, that series is a lot of fun. Yeah. Did
2: you enjoy it? Yeah, it, it was mega. I, I actually it. did the Race of Remembrance. was the first one I did in 2019. Oh, okay. Which is such a great event. I didn't actually know about it, mm. but a friend of mine did it the year before and was like, look, you've got to come and do it. Just save up the money for the year and come and do it because it's a 12-hour race, but split into two six-hour races on the Saturday and Sunday. A pause at 11 o'clock on the Sunday for a kind of remembrance service in the pit lane. Great camaraderie because it's not part of a championship. There's a less kind of full on Mm. aggressive um, competitiveness. And it's much more around that club feeling. We're all there to have fun and have a good time. And I was like, okay, this is, this is great. And I, you know, even doing night racing in your first race is pretty insane. Um, And then, yeah, I did a couple more races in 21, uh, Snetterton, Alton Park, fortunately ended up barrel, not barrel rolling, spinning violently against the tire wall at Alton Park. And uh, yeah, that happened. Which corner? Um, so actually on the straight between the last two corners, uh, the second to last corner and the last corner, somebody.
1: Right. So, oh, okay. So you've, you've come around the double apex yeah, right hander and then you get that dip.
2: And... Yes, basically. Uh, yeah, they were alongside me, lapping me, but there was a car in front of them. So rather than checking up, they just turned right to barge oh, me out of no. the way and just put me nose into the wall. Um, yikes i must have been at some speed well in a well, c1 no. yes <laughs> yeah, okay yeah but no, yes it. it was i meant like i meant like you know full speed yes full <laughs> speed a of play. a c1 yeah <laughs> um but yeah that, and that is obviously the difference and it's probably one of the most overused lines in in the industry is there's no reset button in real life um and mm. there isn't and you have to pay for damage and make sure all of that sorted which is obviously the downside but
1: But it's interesting because I hear that a lot as well. And I I always think that it's interesting how people say it as a negative, it's like oh, it's not as good because you know in the real world there's no reset buttons. like well, unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. you know having a having a reset button is great. Yeah, and it's you know it's a lot it's a lot cheaper and it means you can you know it's it's it doesn't mean that you're gonna do your back in and have glass shattered all over you. We had a we had a roll at um, oh Snetterton. yeah I saw that I know, Toby yeah. will appreciate me mentioning this in nearly every podcast. <laughs> but at the last last corner of Snettin, he just got the final corner wrong, went sideways into that huge. Uh, curb on the inside and ended up rolling the, the 4K yeah. and we had the onboard footage and it, you know, we're doing like 40 miles an hour probably tops but even then, going upside mm-hmm. down with the glass smashing yeah. all, all, across his face and it was pretty uh, pretty sketchy and obviously it doesn't, it's not cheap no. for, for, for most people to, to replace, it's not like, you know riding off a GT3
2: car but it's, it's no, all, you know it's, gonna well, it's a all comparison isn't it yeah, compared to like the entry fee and what you're paying to race like the damage is equal to and more which is already a lot of money to people at that level and um... The, the reset button thing is like, well, there isn't a reset button in iRacing. There's a toe to pits. If you crash, so your race yeah, is over, yeah. there's obviously just no oh, danger. Yeah, anyway.
1: I, I had a terrible week last week in the F3 series. I did three races ah. and I was like, I was adamant. I wanted to get my B license. I was like, I'm, I'm 2.9 safety rating. I just need to have some quiet races. First two races got crashed out at Eau Rouge. And then the third race, I was third the whole way round until the very, very, very last lap uh, when. Um, the fourth place caught up and just smashed straight into the back of me at the last uh, <laughs> last chicane, and I was just
0: <laughs> devastated. I mean, I'm not it laughing was one sure. of
1: those moments that every sim racer has, where they're like, "Oh, you know what? I can't be bothered with this. This is this sim racing. Is yeah, rubbish. why would I, I ever like, do, ah. do this?" I turn around and I'm like, I'm in the grid finder office. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, no, I need to <laughs> persevere. Yeah. <laughs> persevere with this sim racing thing.
2: No, it is uh, it it is addictive. And I did fall into the trap of being like, oh, should I race? What if I lose I rating? I'm not going to do this race. I'm like, but mm. I've changed my attitude. I'm like, what a ridiculous thing to do. Because you're like, I'm paying for this paying to to race. <laughs> Just go and race. And your IR and SR is, you know, it, it'll go up and down. You will get taken out some times but.
1: yeah well it's interesting actually because it's, it's almost there's an element there that you don't really have in real world racing certainly not at, at club level anyway you've got super license points and bits and pieces mm. but at club level there is no safety rating there is no kind of like uh you know performance rating and actually if you think about it even if you go to um you know i don't know how good these are we get something like team sport yeah um you, know, you get the app and you depending on how you, your lap times and your positions etc it gives you like a a ranking relative to all the other carters that go to team sport but actually mm-hmm. in club racing there isn't there isn't no. a similar system um, which is probably probably for the best really
2: yes yeah i mean i'm sure that there are uh rivalries within paddocks in terms of they're a dirty driver or oh i don't mind racing them mm-hmm. they're a safe driver but that's very insular to kind of like i used to do a lot of club 100 and there was always drivers that you're like a bit more wary of when near them and things like that but I've heard that that's a bit nuts. It, the sprint racing is insane. The endurance racing, I'm actually mm. getting, planning on doing some this year. Uh, it, oh, okay. it is great. It, it's such a great product for the money in the world of real world motorsport. It's kind mm. of unrivaled. Well, it is unrivaled, in my opinion
1: interesting i might have to little make it make a, make a note of that and uh, have a look at those endurance races um okay so let's get into uh, motorsport uk and you touched on it earlier i'd love to get your take on things like rent sport but first motorsport uk you they've hired you full-time esports director managing uh, how they integrate and maximize uh, sim racing within their their model yeah like why what's what what is it that they've seen i mean i'm, I'm sure we can guess but yeah. like, from motorsport uk's perspective they're obviously seeing that sim racing is coming online racing is growing yeah. like it, it,
2: it's it's the future yeah so it, i think the, the first thing that i always say in any of these kind of conversations is we're not looking to come in and govern Esports sports or sim racing in the way that we do in real world mode sport. I think people will appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not <laughs> here to bring in licenses and tutorials of, and like you have to do this driving course and right. Anyone who's organizing events, we need you to have a permit or anything like that. Uh, in fact, it's easier just to say we're not stopping anyone doing stuff that they're already doing. <laughs> so, mm. um yeah. so really the, the main, kind of point to it is kind of what I touched on before is there's a whole new generation of racing drivers, whether that's online or in the real world. And we want to make sure that the knowledge of what is out there is sent out to these audiences. So like I said, putting the motorsport products such as streetcar where you can do motorsport in your own road car and marshalling and stewarding in the real world is put in front of you know the esports communities who might have no knowledge of it, and I and I've used this example before, but there was somebody in our sim team who had spent a lot of money on you know rig and equipment and i racing, and he found out that we, and our friend who's also in the team, had done the C1 race, and he was like, "How how have you done that? I thought you had to buy a race car and mechanic it and trailer it." we like, "No, you can do a arrive and drive. You pay a team. Obviously, you're mm-hmm. paying a premium, but." You can do it as a one-off or a couple of races, and then and for considerably cheaper than I think most people yeah. expect. I mean,
1: I you know nearly fell off my chair when I found out that I could do a season of Endura car for like five or six thousand pounds. Yeah. And, it, and again, I suppose we should keep caveating that that's not cheap.
2: But if um, you compare to that people, to but it, Disposable income that is spent on sim racing equipment, like a exactly, perfect yes, example. Exactly, yeah. Dave Cam put out his video that he spent 28,000 pounds. Yes, he's an anomaly within the world, but it shows that people do spend money on sim racing. Like you said, you mm. can do a season of uh enduro car for what a quarter of that, yeah. Um, so. Yeah. That, that's a perfect example. And then fast forward a year, um, Richard, the guy on our team, is now doing did a full season of City Car Cup last year with Student Motorsport, which they won their class, and he's doing it again this that's year. Great. He started to get sponsors on board, and you know it completely opened his eyes to the world of of motorsport. So that that's kind of one kind of key area, and it's also to advocate sim racing, esports, racing esports um, as a credible low barrier to entry motorsport you know the the equipment and the software and the games are now in a position that like we know that you can race in leagues and championships very inexpensively once you've got the the equipment and you know your the skills are transferable you know you're doing racing lines breaking Mm. points gear selection and so advocating and helping that in this this industry that has grown so organically, you know, all of these different communities and companies like your own that, you know, just ideas that you've had and you've managed to grow. We want to help support the industry by supporting these communities. So they're they're kind of the two main parts of it, but there's other elements to it. Like, um, you know, we have the Motorsport UK Academy for, High high performing drivers at a younger age. We also have our diploma in sporting excellence, and there are now elements of that that um, use esports. So we have two simulators at the HQ that get used. Loughborough College, who deliver our diploma, uh, now have a set of simulators at, at the college in Loughborough that their students can use for, for their course, and they use it for, you know, driver training, coaching, um, you know. Um, mental training, telemetry. telemetry, exactly. Yeah. So it it's it, it basically got to a point where you couldn't ignore it for multiple it, UK. It it's here was... and we should be involved.
1: Yeah, I was just about to say. I think you know it came out as um as news, but it was almost like mm. it, it, was, it was about hearing a news story on a on a, uh, a Friday, that tomorrow, Saturday is going to happen. Yeah. Like, it was it, it was fairly, fairly certain that Motorsport UK were going to venture into it, because it would be odd if they yeah. didn't. It would almost feel a bit elitist if they mm-hmm. didn't. Absolutely. Because so there's no getting away from the fact that sim racing is far more accessible, because we're talking about spending thousands on a sim rig, but actually you don't need to. Yep. If you've got a desk, you can buy a Logitech G twenty nine or a Thrustmaster T three hundred for a couple of hundred quid, or even secondhand options and... for cheaper. And... Uh, it's second, I mean, I bought my my my, my first rig was uh, was was, was that the handed. whole of a, that a rig G- except T300 for the monitor
2: and... is second hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: There's like there's very there's a few reasons to, to buy uh, new, um, but yeah,
2: so it it can be incredibly um, incredibly uh, accessible. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, that's kind of one of the key elements of it is, yes, everything has a barrier. You know, you still have to be able to afford a PC or a console and afford mm-hmm. the equipment and the internet connection. So we're not, you know, we're not coming in saying, oh, it's really cheap and everyone could afford it because everyone has different, you know, stories in life and money means, or the amount yeah. of money is, is different to, to different people. But compared to real world motorsport, even compared to something like Club 100 that's £180 around you consult you can buy a brand new Logitech G29 or a Thrustmaster what's the T128 or something like that T150 <coughs> for that so and then you can use it as many times as you like on different cars and different tracks so there's still that it's still a lot better value for money or
1: yeah no lower barrier. i was, yeah yeah it, it, exactly and is there any kind of um, is there any kind of push to getting sim races to motorsport events so not necessarily um racing themselves um but something that i've noticed going to the paddock so i've you know i went to donington for the enduro car round and um uh we had the pretty much the whole of the sunday of course was enduro car because we had like a six hour race. a couple of events in the morning i think Uh, but the friday and saturday there was loads of stuff going on there was catering Mm -hmm. and type ours and it was it was busy like the paddock there must have been like four or five hundred people but around the track was half the number of people for the weekend going to actually watch the races mm-hmm. but i do wonder if that's because that sort of race those cars etc people are less exposed to them yeah. less exposed to the series that they're involved mm-hmm. in um and i'm thinking that sim racing if you do it if you do a couple of series in the in a mazda's for example is a classic example mazda's are i-racing and you and everyone is now pretty akin with with mazda racing yeah is there now a, a push to get them to the track to go and watch it or could you know could you give people discounts if they're if they're sim racers of motorsport uk and they've done mazda events
2: yes so that uh, and i think again a, a bit of a preface to this is yes i've been here for a year but we've only really been doing the do for about six months you know the first six seven months was all planning and ideas and working out how to do it and, and development of things so we are very new but that is certainly something that we want to try and do and that is again not just real world but also e so we want to build up the story of the industry so teams drivers communities who are these people where do they come from we, when we do things like the f4 championship it's like we want people to know the personalities and the teams who the rivalries like we see in obviously famously in f1 with like lewis versus max or mercedes versus red bull and ferrari it we, we need those stories but you also need those stories in in club racing, because that, that's why people mm. go and see, because club racing, like we said, is Cable's and Mazda's, and they're great for people who like cars. You don't need the story. You can be like, oh, I just want to go and see a load of cool cars. But if you're not necessarily into cars, but you like F1, it's like, why would you go there if you don't know the people driving around or know any of the the stories or the rivalries? Yeah, it doesn't and, really uh,
1: matter who wins because they're just a yeah, name.
2: Yeah. That, like you said, is all about exposure. And again, that is certainly something that we would like to achieve. And there's lots of different things you have to look at about how you do it. But, you know, with our membership, there might be opportunities to get discounted race tickets for club meetings or win a prize of doing that or, or whatever it might be, you know, go and spend a weekend with a race team or something like that. And I'm not talking pro level. I'm talking kind of more club level or, you know, mm. club to national level. Um, as in like club to BTCC not WEC or F1 yeah, um, yeah. is it was well, it interesting to sorry go on. No, that was it that's it I saying, it's
1: interesting to see how many physical sim rigs you're starting to see at um motorsport events now um, and autosport was a good yes. example of that there were sim rigs everywhere because it's a way of engaging somebody rather yeah. than like a you know pick, you know parts that you're trying to sell or these are our car this is our team you know, you can sit in the car. So, oh, well, now, not only can you sit in the car, but actually, if you come on the rear, you can race the car around some tracks. And you've got and a you captive audience to, the, the, to the talk
2: to about your products. Right. As well. And yeah, you're absolutely right. They're a great way for, for companies to have an activation on their stand that brings people onto the stand. You know, same at Goodwood Festival of Speed and things like that now. Um, uh, when planning those events, it's always tricky, though, because obviously, if you give people five, 10 minutes each, you're only getting through like six to 10 people an hour. It's not a high, vo- and hmm. then you need more which obviously then means you need more space. And then you have queuing issues. Mm. If you try and do pre-book. Well, I think the lots...
1: Williams stand had like 12 stands. They yeah. 12 rigs, didn't they? they had... <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. And know like like, um, you were at the Expo, the Sim Racing Expo as well. That was, yeah. that, that worked because there was so many. So it was like, there wasn't. But if you only had two or three at an event like that, or an event like that, you would just have a queue constantly. Like I went with my nephew to Insomnia once in at the NEC. We queued for like an hour and 45 minutes to use VR for 10 minutes. And it's like, it's like going to a theme park at the end of the day, you're queuing for rides. So it's always, it's like, yes, you can put a a simulator on your stand and it's a great way to get people involved, but you have to kind of think about it logistically as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a bit of a challenge. I I remember uh, also going to the uh, Insomnia festival last year. I actually met Johan from uh, track racer there Mm -hmm. and uh, he, they had the, the Alpine f1 car and then they had a lot of rigs and out of all of the stands they had the biggest queues, because yeah. essentially you're, you're getting in a, an experience right yeah getting that kind of that drive that one-to-one physical driving mm-hmm. experience as opposed to playing a game that you've probably already played Yeah.
2: yeah and I, I think there's a there's a big case for that and something that we're going to try and do is obviously a lot of people the majority of people will have entry level to mid-range kit Um, and we want to give people more opportunity to use high end equipment, you know, aspirational equipment to It's like, oh, I get to drive this car in the real world, or, you know, I get to go and sit in this car or have a passenger ride in a Ferrari or drive a Ferrari for a hundred pound or whatever. It's kind of similar. It's like go to pro esports teams and use their, you know, triple monitor setups with the best kit all set up, right. Or like we do an event with Williams where we go. their esports lounge to introduce people to esports and you get a tour of the museum so we're kind of we're big into that idea of well as well of adding um kind of value to people's experience of esports and there's a big market for people who want to upgrade but there's a very little chance to be able to try before you buy so helping people with that as well indirectly as in not a come to this shop and try it before you buy it but a if you get an experience where you get to go and try some pro kit you could be like because i i tried some vrs pedals at apex racing and i was blown away and i've used uh i really like the ursint belts and and things like that but i would never have tried the vrs pedals before but they had them on their rigs when we were there and i had a go and i was like oh wow these are amazing why are these not more popular marketing yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah like motorsport events are obviously the perfect place to to do that as well because you've got people who are already interested and in, you know we've yep. been discussing uh, about you know maybe we should we should be going to gaming events rather than sim racing yeah. you've got the sim racing expo which is which is great uh, but it's once a year and it's in germany mm-hmm. so it's you know it's a very it's 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 a very kind of uh, limited audience it does well for numbers considering but um you know, it's a very limited audience once once a year. Yeah. Whereas the gaming events that happen, you know, Birmingham NEC for example yeah. and uh in the Excel like quite regularly, they have people who are the right sort of person who could be interested in simracing yeah. who might never have been exposed to it.
2: Yeah, and I, I like there was a couple of sims at Insomnia when I went and that was probably four years ago, five years ago I think I went. And so, yeah, like you said, a lot of people who play like like I play Overwatch and I've played Fortnite for my sins, and those sort of games. Um, there there is definitely crossover. You know, people who are interested in gaming are also usually, or a lot of people, are interested in cars, and so it's not a big step to go. Oh, racing games! I didn't really know what that was about. Oh wow, look at this simulator. That's yeah,
1: and 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 most, I would I would hazard a guess that a, a very high portion of gamers have tried. Either Gran Turismo or for the yes, F one game, maybe Formula yeah. One, and so they kind of already know what the format of the game is. But and they've probably seen. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I must, have, I don't know, maybe ten or eleven, seeing the wheels that you could get in like in the Argos catalogue, yeah. and God knows what they were um, <laughs> back then. But thinking, oh, that would be cool. But it just seemed like uh, I do. <laughs> because it was just one one or two games that it would work for. I don't know. I was playing other games. I was outright, mm-hmm. I don't know. I never I never really kind of uh, jumped for it. But I think if I was able to try it, I think it would have been a different story. And I yeah. think it would have been sim racing it's like to uh, like 10 years earlier than I actually started. Yeah,
2: and it's like I tried GTR and it changed the path of my gaming experience. Now, if I hadn't have gone around to that person's house and tried it, how long would it have been till I got exposed to a... GTR or a race Seven or what you know, one of the earlier simulators. Maybe I wouldn't have been, and my life would have taken a whole different direction. <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> we need to thank that. For yeah, it. <laughs> I did auto sport. Yeah, um, bumped into it. He couldn't even remember how we knew each other because he actually qualified for GT Academy one year. He was like, we know each other from GT Academy. I went, no, we worked at the kart track. And he was like, oh yeah, you came on a track day in my Peugeot two hundred and five. As a passenger, I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Oh yeah, nice. we used to play GTR on the laptop and all this." I was like, "Yep, yeah, that's me." That's very cool. That's very cool. Okay,
1: so where does Motorsport UK want its sim racing campaign to be in five years' time? What's, what's the What's the vision? Is there like a right in five years' time, we're probably going to have this academy, and we want to do a major tournament once a year, and we'd like to see this at the tracks. Like, what's the What's the the five-year plan?
2: Uh, Again, another preface there is no five year plan, but we have ideas, so I'll go around what we would like nice. to see and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, this is all it might change rather than it being the plan. Um, but yeah, whatever you say will now announce Motorsport UK <laughs> yeah. exclusive, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, all all real world racing will be with VR headsets, Yeah, uh,
2: everyone needs a license. No, I'm joking, free sports. Um, okay. we'll clip that, <laughs> clip that. <laughs> um, uh, yes, yeah, so we one of the main things that we want to do is try and work out a a decent pathway for esports and sim racing because like in the real world there is an established pathway you start in carts and that will then take you in the direction that you you can afford usually unfortunately um but in sim racing it's very much you grind away um you know you put all in all the hours you get yourself to a certain level and then you might get cherry-picked by a a pro team or a you know, as a content creator or something like that. So we'd like to establish, and uh, um, we are already starting on this, um, kind of a uh, a pathway for, you know, kind of eight years old. You don't have your own kit. You can go to these regional or local venues, take That's part in competitions, cool. then national, and then maybe you win equipment or something like that that you can then take home and, and that sort of thing. All the way up to... Uh, motorsport games, the FIA Motorsport games, um, representing the UK, we'd like there to be a um, qualifying or, or you know, an event around that, which we didn't have time for l- last year. Mm. Um, and then the kind of even with the F4 esports thing, which uh, made a really big step for me personally, because it was an officially sanctioned British Championship, and Saturday last week, as we record it, was uh, the Motorsport UK Night of Champions, where all of the British Champions from the year get get crowned, and Ron Dennis received a Lifetime Achievement Award, and and things like that, and Luke McEwen, who won the F4 Esports Championship, was there in his tuxedo, received his British Championship trophy alongside you know Tom Ingram from the British Touring Cars, and, and people like that. So it cool. was very kind of like... Uh, not a glass ceiling moment that may be overstating it a bit, but a very kind of mm. esports is now alongside these. They're rubbing shoulders with it's an equal. And I think to build on that for this year, we would like to have a support series or feeder series for F four, which is kind of non pro talent identification, help with um And again, the mechanics of how all of this works is TBC, but the idea is to kind of have non-pro teams or drivers enter um, who then, you know, if they win, they then get a free um, entry into the main championship the following year. So if you're a team and you're trying to become a pro team and get sponsors and things, you could enter it. And if you win, you're like, look, we're now part of this pro championship and, and same with the driver. If you're looking to showcase your talent as a 12, 13 year old, we haven't, and you're trying to look for different opportunities, we want to help with that. Mm. Um, and then one one of the main things is is um, the community events. We we did a survey very early on when I started, kind of two or three months in, after I started last year, and we put it out to lots of different um, Discord communities. I think yours was one of them, actually. Oh, yeah yeah um, yeah we sent it out i remember doing it myself yeah and uh one of the the main takeaways was the question was around what would you like to see from motorsport uk if they enter esports or what would you expect to see and i think it was about 85 percent of people said they wanted sanctioned community events so pro professionally run events that feel like you're a racing driver basically and that's what we kind of initially started with the brick 24 hour race last year which we. Ran with, or partnered with Britcar, the the real world motorsport t- uh, club, and that was really successful. You know, stewarding, commentary, prizes. It, the the way I kind of see them running from our side is they're like an iRacing special, but, but across different platforms. But you're very much part of like like you said that paddock environment. It's a few hundred people rather than thousands and thousands in one server, in one race, chatting away in the discord, but there's rules and regulations. There's decal layers for for deliveries and and that sort of stuff. So we want to be doing a lot more on that side, which we've got again, plans for this year and and for the future. Um, And I just thought of something else then as well, which I've now entirely forgotten. Oh yeah. And and the British championships across different disciplines as well. Which is yeah. a bit harder to get off the ground but we'll get there
1: yeah it's it's interesting that there seems to yeah, there's definitely it was interesting what you're saying about the awards night how um you know the the sim racing element is getting more kind of to use a horrible phrase like organically involved with the with the real mm-hmm. world racing like it's it's not it's not these two modules kind of cutting yeah. heads but actually they're, they are seamlessly integrated it reminds me of the um, you know the GT World Challenge, how Fanatec mm-hmm. um, sponsoring that. Obviously they they now at the twenty four hours of spa they will have a an esports event that runs alongside the twenty four hours of spa. Yeah. But not just for fun, to be like all oh, look, the esports here, ticking the box with modern. They're actually gonna get points. So each team yeah, yeah. who's on the grid in the real yeah. world cars will also have a And they have to have a pro and...
2: driver and a sim driver and, and yes. that sort of stuff so
1: it's so it's really it's you know that is probably for me it feels like the biggest step yeah. towards properly properly integrating it because now it's not just okay i could become a sim racer and i could do all these events and, and win money but it's like okay if i get good at sim racing i can join these teams and these mm-hmm. teams now have both elements to it that's massive right
2: yeah it, exactly and um you know it th- there's always going to be more and more crossover as well like we said we kind of the generational thing of the younger people now who grow up with it and are doing sim racing and some of them will become pro racing drivers will carry on being sim drivers whereas now you know people our age and older who are pro racing drivers might not have got into sim racing and can't do it and are dismissive of it so the more people doing it who are professional drivers the more uh welcoming they will be for it to come into, to mix with real world motorsport. Um, you know, they'll be more open to doing things like that across more championships, rather than it just being that one and obviously doing esports versions of real events with virtual Le Mans and the iRacing, um, mm. special events, I think is, is a really good thing as well. Um, generally to, to bring exposure to, to sim racing, although they do yeah, have issues. <laughs> sometimes see i
1: i yeah yeah well yeah we had uh, lewis mcglade on um last mm. time talking about the, the kind of like behind the scenes of of what went on and yeah it does sound like it was it was quite tough but they, they they managed it um i i kind of like the fact that you've got lots of different series each with their own characters it's it's nice that it's not all in a perfect table yep. you know you just move up and down it's like a you know the football league where you've got you know various divisions that will spread out and you mm-hmm. kind of move up it's kind of nice that you've got like Le Mans over here and you've got the communities over there and that you can choose kind of what sort yeah. of vibe you, you're you're looking for but it would be interesting to see if most of what UK can somehow tie them together without restricting what they can do <laughs> yes. without removing their brand identity and without making it a hassle yeah, Do you know what I mean? Like so, some, And it sounds to me, based on what you've said so far, that that, that is the direction you're going, and it's, it sounds like there is testing to be done. Yes. You know, it, that, And that's why when I say, well, what's your five-year plan? It's like, okay, we haven't got five-year plans, we've got ideas, because you kind of want to try all these things out and see which ones yes. resonate with exactly. the sim racing community and the motorsport community and which ones don't, and then come up with you know the, the, the happy medium that, that achieves the goal
2: yeah exactly that we don't we we always said from the start that we didn't want to come in all guns blazing and you know just try and do loads of massive things and it not work or it. you only make one first impression so we're very much and again using that phrase from before organically growing it with we'll try this we'll take the feedback we'll develop it if it if it was successful you know i'm sure we're going to do things that aren't going to work out it's it's natural but um, th- you're like, exactly um, right. We want to develop it
1: slowly. Obviously, it's no secret that um, Motorsport UK will be uh, mandating that sim racers have to wear seatbelts. Is it from 2024? Yeah, motion uh, rigs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And helmets. <laughs> and um, and helmets. Yeah. Yep. And obviously, you need to have your fireproof socks. Uh, no fireproof yeah. socks, no entry to the <laughs> server. Um,
2: yeah. Which is all you know, un- understandable. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And you have to, uh, and to be fair, you you say that we, uh, Hugh, our CEO, uh, sits on the uh, FIA eSports Commission. And I I join as an observer and the the German ASM were very kind of open with their uh, kind of failure in the the space. They, a few years ago, this was now, came in and tried the approach of you need to have a license, do these courses, do driver tuition with with a pro and you get a license and kels prize they didn't get any sign ups for it but they yeah but the, but the good thing is that they were trying and they've learned from it and they they haven't just gone oh esports not for us they're now developing what they do so yeah do, doing that sort of stuff we knew was wrong and we're also fully aware that pe- some people and entities won't like what we're doing which is fine you know some people don't want to be constrained by rules and regulations for their championships and you know want to be it to be done seriously they want to have fun and that is absolutely fine and i'm an advocate for that you just can't be affiliated with motorsport uk which is fine um yeah, especially really. when when we do events and things we have to implement things like safeguarding against um children which is my eyes a good thing um you know so if there's under 18 competitors you have to get parental consent and and that sort of thing which let's be honest is pretty much non-existent in the majority of esports discord is again a whole nother world of uh, Mm. safeguarding but it's one of those where if you don't embrace it then you won't you, you won't be in it so we have to it's one of those where We all agree we have to do it, and I'm sure there will be a Motorsport UK Discord server relatively soon. It just has to be done in the right way that we protect people as much as we can, basically.
1: Yeah, I suppose it's the double-edged sword of what you're doing is you've got the clout in terms of the reputation, the brand, but it comes with it like a whole a whole string of of um you know regulations and requirements that you mm-hmm. have to jump through but that's kind of that's why you're the regulating body right you can't yeah. you can't have it both ways so let's talk about 2023 mm-hmm. yeah. and onwards so this is a big year for sim racing um and you mentioned it earlier ren sport ren sport with their uh, the r1 series that they're bringing out as yeah. the local um local and online events um, and interestingly they're running them alongside things like CSGO. So, this is this is the first time we're going to see sim racing alongside mainstream esports. Yeah. Do you think this is a big deal
2: or not? Uh, I think it's a big deal getting people like. Are FaZe involved? Is it FaZe and Mouse? I think. Yeah, FaZe, Faze and Mouse are both involved. Yeah. 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 So, I think that's a big deal bringing in organizations like that from, uh, I call them traditional esports um <laughs> just an odd phrase <laughs> yeah I, I don't i never know how to because i always think that if you say esports to somebody they think of call of duty or Fortnite or whatever rather yeah. than sim racing but anyway so but bringing in those all obviously then brings in an audience who you will naturally get people who follow them regardless of what they do you will obviously get the naysayers they were like what is this i want CSGO or whatever it might be. So I think that's a big deal. I think like I said before, sport generally is good in terms of it generates competition and everyone's very excited to see how it goes. It's, um, you could arguably say it's a disruptor in the way that they've gone about kind of uh, um, it. um Personal opinion is I think if they Deliver on the promise of it being kind of optimized for eSports delivery, I think that's really good because I think all current platforms and games have quite large limitations in terms of making a decent broadcast and race control features and things like that. So I think if they can nail that, then I think it's a big deal. Uh, They're definitely esports first. Yeah, e- which is...
1: even even their their timetable this year. It's not just the concept is esport first, but their timetable this year. They're literally doing the esports tournament before they you even launch the game. The beta. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. So I, I think that's the positive, and I think you could look at it and be like, oh, it's GT three cars at European circuits that we have on ACC and Racing and and and. So mm. I, I think it, it, I. I'm really interested. Let, let's say that I'm really interested to see how it goes. I hope that I, I do feel sometimes we're very good at um, not helping ourselves, like with the controversies at Daytona 24 iRacing, racing, mm. and obviously what happened at Virtual Le Mans. It's like Graphic. yes, exactly, tire <laughs> dipping and all of that. It's like we're we're so good at going at shouting about the issues. <laughs> yeah but overall it's really good I hope that it goes well for for that sake kind of for the sake of sim racing to be honest that do you think if we are bringing in these new audiences yeah go on
1: yeah yeah no I I was just about to say with with the huge the huge increase in the number of eyes that are now going to be on sim racing do you think this is it almost a
2: make or break moment for sim racing? I mean, you can always recover. It just might take a lot longer if it doesn't, isn't successful. I think it's, it, it's very make or break for certainly a short to medium term with like, like I said, with the orgs like FaZe and mouse coming in and the audiences that they can bring to it. If they tune into this first event and it's not at least, you know, good, let alone smashing out the park then you are going to have an issue bringing in those people back in um, and you hope that people orgs like that are in it for the long term and not just if something goes wrong they don't go oh see you later we're going to go back to CSGO because obviously there's now people's employment on the line and that that's another side of esports that's an interesting topic but yeah it's like they've made the big signings they've got people from redline and red bull and all of that sort of thing it's it's really interesting
1: yeah and and i think i think if it goes well it's going to be more than just okay great we've now got a sim racing uh, esports tournament that's on the map i think it will be a catalyst for not just other new ones but it'll be a catalyst for improvements in existing series and events so as soon as people start seeing sim racing and they see the opportunities for sponsorship and they see the amount of hardware that's involved i expect that might lead to some of the other events that already exist being picked up.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it, it's just great because it forces people to progress. And, you know, iRacing have been around since 2008. But as soon as you bring in somebody else doing something better than they are, potentially, they will have to sit up and and change what they're doing. Otherwise, you know, they'll get left behind. It is subscription after all, so you can't just stop paying. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the other thing, isn't it? Like we're expecting some kind of. Uh, they're not calling it a set of course two; it's calling it the next set of course. Yes. Um So we're, it'll be interesting to see what they come out with and how they respond, and if they're kind of pivoting internally right now to to react to this. Because it, <sighs> you know, it's it's race, sim racing, and it, 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 the the difficulty that sim racing has always had in terms of esports, I think, is that it we call it sim racing. We don't call it Call of Duty. We don't yes. call it CS:GO. Yeah. And 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 obviously in our in in um, uh, our circumstances, we we don't call it a set of Corsa or iRacing. It's sim racing. Yeah. so That's a good point. You know, you can't. So it's so it's it's kind of like um, naturally fragmented. Yeah,
2: you're like so you say, oh, I do sim racing, and people are like which one do you do? F1, Gran Turismo, GTS, mm. iRacing. But I think. But I
1: think that kind of leaves the door open for greater scope, uh, in the sense that you know we could have an Assetto Corsa, um, we could have an Assetto uh esports event in the same way that we have a Ren Sport mm-hmm. event in the future.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, s- same here. And I I'm a big advocate for LAN events. I think they're they're really good, and there's a lot of uh, places popping up around that can help with that. And being able to use, like you said, you can then do a big Assetto Corsa competition, for example, at a gaming like Insomnia or whatever it might be, or Dreamhack, is that the same as Insomnia? I forget, Um, um, and then, yeah, there's loads of opportunity to do that. And I think Assetto Corsa are in a really good place. They're still, I think, the most used sim racing title on Mm -hmm. Steam. And that—that's from the modding side, isn't it? I mean, when you've got a Tyrannosaurus Rex running around the track as a mod, it's always going <laughs> to bring people yeah, to the. To... I
1: really enjoyed that, um, but but I think it's, it's interesting. I was I was um, I was really intrigued by the GTR revival uh, press release about how they were making a proper commitment to modding, claiming that it will be the most moddable okay i haven't in the seen world. that interesting very interesting it's um and as a... it's it's almost like you've got. Go no I was, just, I was gonna say you've almost got like two ends of the spectrum now which i feel like people are going for you've got the ren sport end which is obviously not moddable as far as we're yeah. aware and it's all esports focused yeah. and then we've got gtr2 revival which is moddable and therefore is incredibly like community focused
2: So community modders fun events, etc., And And one of the areas that we have to consider as a governing body, not the governing body of eSports, but a governing body is boring things like licensing. So if we were doing an Assetto Corsa uh, event, we have to make sure that the content is licensed and in the right way. It's not just a, a modding team developing a track without permission and you know, and then you can get around it by calling it, you know, the the South of France, all twice around the clock race, rather than the one twenty four. Right. But I, it, <laughs> but again, that doesn't really fit with what we're trying to achieve with the the professionalism. So
1: yeah, that wouldn't. I'm not sure that would sit nicely amongst all the other championships. The most UK <laughs> yeah, fans. exactly.
2: So we. Again, I'm not saying that it, it should be stopped or anything like that. I, I love the modding community. It's just then we have to be careful that when, which is why we haven't really done anything in setter course yet because of the whole, it's not as easy as something like mm-hmm. iRacing to just go, everything's licensed, just move some sliders around and put server live. Um, so, uh, but that is where the communities come in, where we're going to very heavily lean on established companies and communities to host events um, whether that's community or professional on our behalf because I'm one person at the end of the day I don't have time to run multiple different championships and leagues and events and projects so we need to be using the uh, expertise and the experience of everything that's out there already um, and that's that just takes a little bit more time because you're obviously we're then adding in a middleman that all needs to be correct and licensed and all of that sort of stuff but it will happen
1: well I'm really excited I'm excited to see what's going to happen generally in um, in uh, sim racing this year and next year but I've been keeping an eye on what's been going on motorsport UK and I haven't yet seen anything where I've gone ooh, I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure this. that's good for the community, and but I, the problem is, that, yeah, I don't look too deep on Twitter because I'm sure I'm sure you can find those opinions somewhere, but you just
2: absolutely you just kind of scroll past them. Oh yeah, so, Facebook comments that that was straight away on the first thing we posted. Yeah, yeah.
1: and 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 they probably just read the um, the title yeah. and didn't actually read the article. It's like run, I'm not paying for. License. Yeah,
2: and it's exactly the same when F1 put their esports on their main YouTube channel, and the comments are just I don't mm. like computer games. Put this on a different channel. Well then, don't exactly. Watch. We exactly. Are. You don't need to comment. <laughs> just stop watching. <laughs>
1: well, Paul, thank you very much no for your problem. time. I really appreciate it. It's been a really interesting chat, um, learning about what most what UK are doing, and obviously we've we've put the sim racing world to rights as well, which has been which has been great. Is there anything coming up that you want to tell our listeners about? Anything that they should be looking out for? Any events or any announcements um, anything that you'd like to share? Yes,
2: we've got the Williams Esports Experience happening again. We did that last year. There's a couple of dates in March depending when you're listening to this, um, that are just about to go live. So come and see the Williams Esports Lounge, get a tour of the museum, catering, come and get involved. The last time we did it was great. We had the older generation, people who are in their 60s and 70s, who wanted to come along for the museum and had never experienced esports. Mm -hmm. And we had the younger kind of 16-year-olds who came with their parents to come and do esports and then found out that, wow, Williams has been going for however long 40 years 30 years
1: <laughs> yeah i thought they were just i thought they'd just been going since yeah. formula one 2000 yeah exactly <laughs> so
2: yeah we've got that coming up and obviously the, the new website as well which we'll be pushing a bit more um and hopefully have more and more opportunities on there great brilliant well thanks again Paul. I really appreciate
1: it. I really enjoyed our chat and uh we'll chat soon
0: tom that was a great episode but you know <laughs> I don't even think in the United States we have that degree here. I, I just don't even think it exists in any universities around well, we call them colleges, but I think You're it's re- not a thing.
1: You're referring to the motorsport management degree. Yeah. That was Yeah. That was nuts. I was uh, I was thinking the I never went to university, right? I never 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 did it. I am I am man without degree. Um, and, and to be honest with you, since I don't know, maybe in the last five years I've kind of gone from oh, I wish I'd Done that university thing and gone out and like did all the house parties and just like slept all day. Blah blah. I'm sure they didn't want that. Mm. Um, but now I'm like, oh, actually, that sounds like a great, a great, like a very kind of vocational niche uh, degree where there's quite there's a clear path uh, of what you could do afterwards. And the interesting thing with Paul's story is he did motorsport management degree and then he did motorsport management like straight away afterwards. Like, how many people do you know who do a degree and then after that they don't do anything related to that degree whatsoever?
0: Yeah, there's many, many people I know that are in that <laughs> s- specific situation. You know, the future of what Motorsport UK is trying to do with sim racing, I think, is is bright. I, it's good that you got to have this conversation with him and kind of kill some of those rumors that are out there where, you know, social media seems to like to go and try to think of the worst popu- possible situation that you could have in any given situation and mm-hmm. uh, talk about that but uh, his, his focus or their focus on grassroots communities and keeping yeah. it small kind of is really in line with what GridFinder wants to do as well.
1: Yeah, the only rumors that he didn't quash, and I did bring this up, uh, is the uh, rumors that Motorsport UK are going to mandate that sim racers need to wear seatbelts uh, if mm, they're yeah. on a motion rig, and uh, they must wear a helmet. Um, Safety first. Fire, fireproof socks. Um, I didn't actually mm-hmm. hear him deny it, so um you know we'll 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 make that a a twitter post later (laughs) shock exclusive poor announces the fireproof socks will be required in all sim racing tournaments from now
0: on (laughs) (laughs) oh well i hope everyone enjoyed that episode i did for sure i'm still jealous that i didn't get to partake in the interview tom well done sir thank you sir it was fun that's going to close out this episode of Sims Sundays, number 34, as I mentioned before. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Track Racer. And while we didn't get to race in the rig anymore, you can see that Tom, well, if you're watching, you can see that Tom is sitting in that rig. And they provided that t- to the, this podcast just to kind of help us out a little bit in our intro season if you will thank you very much for that sponsorship tom do you have anything that you would like to share with the listeners and viewers
1: um no not at all um i think it would be if you know if you enjoyed that episode feel free to share it maybe share it and say oh look it's not true that you have to wear a seat belt and it's not true that, that motorsport uk <laughs> are gonna insist that you have to have a license and it's not true blah, 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 all the other nonsense that's coming out but what you should also do is you should go to the motorsport uk esports hub that they've set up it's it's um it's obviously the first iteration of it uh it's essentially just a directory of sim racing communities so if you're new to sim racing perhaps you you race in the real world and you keep hearing about these pesky modern sim races and you want to learn a bit more about it go to motorsport uk's esports hub um and have a little look around um the the communities that they're highlighting on there. and you might find right at the top right in the center a little grid finder logo hey um, so yeah go. that is it from me that was a great episode
0: yeah so if you want to follow more about Gridfinder or sim sundays of course you can just search on all social medias at Gridfinder or just search for grid finder because I, I we have underscore separated on instagram one word Ugh. on twitter so it's kind of all over the place because of uh just a goddamn you know, mess. people taking i know people <laughs> sitting on those usernames not even using them but also, if you'd like to check out the live episode with video, go to youtube.com slash at Sims Sundays to check that out. From this point forward, we will no longer be doing the live shows. It will release every Sunday morning at 6 a.m. UK time, so uh, pretty early for the U.S., so it'll be ready for you when you wake up. But, yeah, if you'd like to... See who our next guests are and everything like that. We'll be announcing them on Twitter the the week before or Instagram or your social media of choice. But other than that, that'll do it for this episode. We appreciate you listening or watching, whichever. Goodbye. Goodbye.